Okay. <laughs> Good to go, Ray. Thank you. Good morning. Well, if you would this morning, open up your Bibles uh, to the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms, specifically Psalm 139. Psalm 139, a most familiar psalm, a most familiar psalm. I'm sure we know it well. Uh, over the last few months, uh, been talking with Pastor Parker, and uh, I know the question came up at one point: How do you uh, what what? leads you to uh, be speaking about any particular passage or, and, uh, you know, it was just kind of where you are and what you're reading and what strikes you sometimes and where the Holy Spirit is leading you through that. And over the last couple months, it's been, uh, in my own life and Michelle's life, there's been a lot of uh, uh, trials and tribulations and chaos, if you will, um, in the midst of it all, my mother had a uh, heart attack back in June, and I recall being in the hospital room as we were waiting for her to get uh, operated on, and um, I was just found myself reading this one, and what a joy and what a comfort it was as we did read it, as I did read it, and uh, boy, it just got really heavy on my heart at that point, just to maybe that that would be the next one I wanted it talk about, and so here we are. Psalm 139. There are six billion plus people in this world. That is an astounding number when you think about it, and you think about everyone you know and everyone you don't, and Besides all that, the planets, the stars, the sun, everything in creation, it is mind-boggling when we start to expand our thoughts that direction. And then we think about our Lord, who made it all, including ourselves. I recall listening to MacArthur, John MacArthur one time, uh, speaking of a time when he was on a plane and he was speaking to someone who was of Muslim faith and, of course, began speaking with him and the question came up by John, what do you think, after talking with this man about his lifestyle, uh, what do you think God is going to do? And he says, well, I hope, the man said, that God would forgive me. And MacArthur replied back to him, well, I know him, and he won't. And the man was blown away by that statement, not because of the lack of forgiveness of Ford. He'd probably heard that before, but the part that blew him away was when MacArthur said, I know him. And how great of a thing that that is that we can know the God who knows us so well. We can have that relationship with him. He is not a distant God as other religions would have 
him or their God be. He's not out there somewhere just letting things go, letting things run on their own. He's directly involved and he knows every aspect and every minute detail of our lives. This psalm is both convicting and comforting. Uh, especially to the believer, it is extremely comforting. To the unbeliever, not so much. Uh, quite scary, actually, when you read it. But to the believer, it is a comfort, a great comfort. And this is not David just spouting off facts about the Lord that we'll see here. Uh, this is David in worship. He is personally responding to the person and the work of God. As David describes these attributes that we will see here, these attributes that belong to God and to God alone, we see that they're not just thoughts about God that he got from reading systematic theology. Uh, these are truths that have profoundly impacted his life. And these truths can so easily be extended to us because they are applied to us if we know him. Now all these things are true whether you know him or not, but the comfort comes from knowing that the God we worship uh, is intimately involved with our lives. Out of six billion people on this planet, he knows you. He knows you. That if we could only meditate on that and, and, and sit and think and think about that truth, that he knows you, and it's as if you're the only one. He has that much detailed knowledge of us, and it's that relationship that uh, causes us to worship him in, for, for these truths. So as we go through uh, Psalm 139, I don't think we'll get very far today, but um, we're going to see some of these attributes that are pointed out throughout the psalm. And then, of course, David's response to these things. But to just look at these and see these attributes in one, verses 1 through 6, we see God's omniscience. In verses 7 through 12, we see his omnipresence. We see in 13 uh, through 18, we see his uh, omnipotence. And then we see David's response to all these, uh, all these uh, truths. But to just use it as pointing out his attributes alone, we've missed something. Uh, these attributes directly apply to our lives. So we won't leave them as just God's omniscience. It's God's omniscience, and he's the God who knows me. It's God's omnipresence, but he's the God who is constantly with me. God's omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, but yet he's the God who, who made me. 
So as we go through, we'll see these We'll see these attributes, but we'll see how they apply to even our own lives. As David points out, they apply to his. And we can rest in those same truths. And what a comfort and what joy it is to know the God who knows us. So let me uh, start. Let's start by reading Psalm 139 and just take in what the Lord speaks to us through his servant David. The circumstances behind this uh, psalm are kind of unknown. Um, he may have been in one of his times of trouble, um, and calling out to the Lord in his confidence. But let's read, starting in verse 1. For the choir director, a psalm of David. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before, laid your hand upon me, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Mm. Psalm 139. 
So we look first then at verses 1 through 6. And these verses point out the first attribute that we can rejoice in, that the Lord knows us completely. The Lord knows us completely. This is the Lord's omniscience. And that is the attribute that denotes God knowing all things. God sees and knows everything. Although we have some knowledge, our knowledge is partial and it is imperfect. The knowledge of God is unique in that the knowledge of God himself is perfection. He knows all things and he knows them exhaustively. Hebrews 4.13 says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him whom we have to do. In the very good book I read, The Attributes of God by Arthur W. Pink. In fact, I think we had it here uh, in the book nook out there. God, he says this, uh, God knows everything. Everything possible, everything actual, all events, all creatures of the past, the present, and the future. He is perfectly acquainted with every detail in the life of every being in heaven, on earth, and in hell. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing can be hidden from him. Nothing is forgotten by him. His knowledge is perfect. He never errs, never changes, and never overlooks anything. That is a monumental thought, and it's massive in its implications. There was not one thing that God did not know about the psalmist. And David here expresses the awe that he is in, that God knew him, knew him even down to the smallest detail. There was not one thing in David's life that was hidden from God, and the same goes for you and I as well. There is not the smallest detail in our lives that the Lord is not intimately aware of. And as we go, for these, go through these six verses, dealing with all that the all-knowing God's personal knowledge of David is, we can see that certain aspects of that knowledge, um, some handles, if you were, something to hang some thoughts on as we go. And in the first verse, we see that God knows who I am. God knows who David is. God knows who you are. God knows who I am. God knows my heart. He knows my very being. He says in verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. He knows my very being. He knows my heart. He knows my character. David says, you have searched me, using a word that means to explore, to spy, to spy out, to dig deeply into. 
The word was used of Joshua and Caleb in Numbers uh, when they were sent to go spy out the promised land. It's also used of um, digging uh, for, for mining purposes, like digging for gold, to dig down deep and, 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 and get the, the gold out. To you and I, searching would imply some level of ignorance on our part. And the goal, of course, would be to remove that ignorance by some manner of observation. If I am searching for my keys, it's because I have no idea where they are. There's no place, uh, I have no idea where, I are, where they are. If I'm looking up information in a book or an answer to a question on the internet or, or whatever, it's because I want to gain some insight into something, so I'm searching for it. I'm trying to educate myself about a certain topic. But that, of course, is not the case with the Lord. God has no level of ignorance in him. He is all-knowing. He has never learned anything. And has a complete, perfect knowledge of all his creation. But David is meaning this, that the Lord knows us thoroughly as if he had examined us minutely with a magnifying glass, as if he had dug down deep into every crevice, pried to the most secret corner of our being. The idea then is he knows everything about you. Every joy you've had, every moment of happiness, every hurt, every disappointment, every feeling, Every motive you have, nothing is hidden from him. He knows you completely. And the psalmist continues. He says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. And the word known here is not to say that he knows you efficiently but without emotion. Uh, it is not to know objectively, but it it means to know intimately, to know experientially. He knows you thoroughly. We have a saying that we use when we're talking to someone, maybe about a friend or about our spouse or whatever. We say, he or she knows me better than I know myself. Of course, we're exaggerating at that point. They may know us very well. But that statement is only true of one, and that is God and God alone. The Apostle Paul understood that in First um, Corinthians chapter four. In First Corinthians chapter four, he said, when he was explaining uh, that human opinion of himself wasn't what mattered. Uh, he said that that, even, that human opinion uh, included even his own. He said in verses 3 to 5, but to me it is a very small thing that I might be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, 
I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious, I'm conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not a, by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Then each man will praise, will come to him from God. Paul wouldn't even trust his own examination of himself. He was not aware of any unconfessed sin or any habitual sin in his life. But the final verdict was not his to make. Paul said, the Lord knows my heart. And if I'm to be acquitted, it will come from the true judge. He, in fact, knows me better than I know myself. So God knows you, and he knows you intimately. Well, God not only knows who I am, but he knows What I do, what I do, verse 2. He says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. Stop there. He says, you know when I sit down and I rise up. These are the two most basic activities one does every day. And it's meant to point to from the time when David calls it a day at the end of the night lays down his head to rest when he wakes in the morning to perform his work and his daily activities. The Lord knows those most basic activities you do, basic activities you and I both do from day to day, and he's full aware of every activity in between. The Alpha and the Omega knows the beginning and the end of our days uh, individually and as a whole. He is fully aware of every activity. He probably, uh, he could tell you without any effort on his part how many times a day you sit down and rise up. All of that is known to him. No mystery. We don't even know that about ourselves. He knows who I am. <clears throat> he knows what I do. And thirdly, he knows what I think. He knows what I think. Look at the rest of verse 2. He says, you know, when I sit down and when I rise up, and you understand my thought from afar. You understand my thought from afar. Even if you are like myself and do not have very much going on in between your ears, God still understands your thoughts with no effort on his part. He knows every thought Every attitude you and I have. That is profound. We kind of think our mind is that safe haven place. That's the one place where no one else can go. Right? And that is true when we are talking about one another. Our friends, our co-workers, our loved ones do not know and cannot know what I think. And praise the Lord for that. 
I once heard Alistair Begg say as, to his congregation, if you could know my thoughts, if you could know my heart, you wouldn't listen to me preach. And if I knew yours, I wouldn't bother. But God is uh, gracious and kind, despite that. But he knows our thoughts. It is not a safe haven from the Lord. Not with the Almighty. Ezekiel 11.5, the Lord says, Thus says the Lord, so you think, house of Israel, for I know your thoughts. Whatever goes on in there, he is fully aware of. There's several places that we can mention this of even Christ. Any of these attributes, the, I mean, you could spend all day going, you spend more than all day going through verses that point to these things, but there are several places where you can mention this of Christ. In Matthew 9, 4, some of the scribes said to themselves, said to themselves, this fellow blasphemes. It says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? It wasn't hidden from him. No thought is. And it's sobering. It's a very sobering thought to know that even our innermost private thoughts are completely known to the mind of God. They're being broadcast on a giant jumbotron right in front of him. He knows them. Well, he knows who I am, what I do, what I think, and where I go. Where I go. Verse 3. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. The word scrutinize literally means to winnow or sift. God discerns the wheat and the chaff in our own lives. God knows and discerns every dimension of your life. David knew there was no circumstance, no facet of his life that God was not intimately acquainted with. No path chosen. No road taken that went unnoticed. Lord sees me when I go to work in the morning. He sees me when I come home at night. Every choice, every road, every path in between. He is fully, fully aware. Intimately knows. Intimately he knows. He knows who I am. He knows what I do. He knows what I think. Where I go. Fifthly, he knows what I say. He knows what I say. Verse 4. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. God knows not only every word that comes out of our mouth, but he knows it before we say it. Or even before we know it, for that matter. That, in itself, 
as we know, as we've heard preached, as we've learned through other parts of Scripture, the words are a window to the soul. They are uh, they speak from the heart. Of course, we need to be on guard for that. In James 3, 7, I'm reminded of this, for every species of beasts and birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison, he says about the tongue. Our words, our words, that is a convicting truth, even by itself, about what we say. Everything we say should be edifying to one another. But regardless, before we even speak it, before we even know what we're going to say, before we know how to respond to something, the Lord knows what's on our tongue. He knows every word. So God not only knows who we are, what we do, what we think, where we go, but also every word we say. He's an ultimate stenographer. Every word has been recorded and it is known even before we speak it. So as we come to verse 5 then, David says, you have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. The word is used of besieging a town, enclosed. God hems David in on all sides. And he cannot escape. That is futile. God used and has used the circumstances in David's life to limit his, to limit his actions. God holds him fast in his grasp and exercises his authority over him. There is no way of escape from the intimate knowledge of God. And again, this is meant... Uh, some of it can sound, uh, we can get the, the fear of the Lord there, and which is good, but it's meant to be encouraging to the believer. It's meant to be encouraging to the believer. This is all overwhelming for David, and it should be overwhelming to us as well, and I hope it is. David says in verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. Such deep, personal, intimate knowledge is just too much for us. We can apprehend it, but we can't comprehend it. 
we could grab hold of these truths and, and hang on, but we can't fully understand them. We are finite creatures, and God is infinite. And here's the part that should absolutely humble us. Here's the part that should put us in amazement and awe. All these things we've mentioned, God knows who I am. He knows my character. He knows who I was before he saved me. He knows every thought that has come into my mind, every word I have ever spoken. Following him and trusting in him and obeying him and before that was the case. He knows it all. Unless we think I'm standing up here claiming to be uh, completely clean now in, in the sense of I do nothing wrong anymore. No, it is even so amazing as I look and I know he knows my every thought and The whole, my whole life has stood open to him, to his view from the beginning. He has seen every fall, every sin, every backsliding, every, every bad thing that has ever been done. And despite all of that, he still set his love upon me. Even though I was his enemy, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf, that I might become the righteousness of God in him. Overwhelming and brings us to a place, should bring us to a place of on our face, on our knees, bow down and worship him. I would just add here, God's knowledge is not just limited to all these things that have actually happened. Even the future he knows. But even to all things possible. That is, these things that he knows about each and every one of us, every word we've spoken, every place we've gone, everything we have done, every thought we've had, etc. He knows all these things that have happened, but he also knows all these things, how they could have happened, how they could have ended up. He knows all things possible as well. His omnipotence, his omniscience rather, is exhausting. He's infinite. He knows it all. We can have, we have, and probably have, uh, we've said, I wish I would have done this in life, I wish I would have turned right instead of left. Well, God knows the outcomes of all those things, how they would have worked out. In 1 Samuel 23, 11 through 16, David asked, will the men of Kaliah surround me in his hand? Surround, surrender me into his hand, rather? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Kaliah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will. They will surrender you. 
Then David and his men, about 600, rose, departed from Kaliel, and they went uh, wherever they could go. When it was told Saul and David had escaped from Kaliel, he gave up his pursuit. pursuit. David stayed in the wilderness, in the strongholds, and remained in the hill country, in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. That's 1 Samuel 23. God knew how it would have worked out. And he told him. David wisely changed his plan accordingly. Jesus himself said, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida, in Matthew 11! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Two verses later, And you, Capernaum, uh, would not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. God knew how it would end up for those cities if they had seen the miracles that Jesus had performed in those cities at the time. Christ said, if these miracles had been performed in you, things would have ended up much different. So why didn't God do those miracles in the city? Well, it wasn't, in his, it wasn't part of his perfect redemptive plan. The secret things belong to the Lord. So we can't know why exactly, but we know it wasn't a part of his plan because it didn't happen. But the point is, is that God knows even things that are possible, not just things that are actual. God is so infinite, so perfect in knowledge, he can know the most majestic, the most unobtainable knowledge of them all. And that is he knows himself completely. He knows himself completely. Only he who is infinite can know an infinite, his infinite himself. <clears throat> Only he who is infinite can know God himself. And Paul, he implies this when he says in 1 Corinthians 2, for us, for to us God revealed through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. Well, as I said before, as this psalm goes and shows, and we see even his omniscience today, to the unbeliever, this is not comforting at all. This should be, uh, if there's anything that make, should make you fear as, a, as one who is, does not follow God, it is that you can't expect, you, you can't escape his, his knowledge of you. And you'll be count, held accountable for every word that we say, everything that we do. Nothing is hidden from him. This applies just as much to the unbeliever as it does to the believer, but to the believer, what comfort it is, what comfort it is that I am never forgotten by the Lord, that I am never out of his mind, that I am never uh, hidden from his knowledge, never hidden from his view. 
He doesn't misunderstand me. And this should change even our prayer life as we come to, see, come to um, speak to Him. You ever find yourself giving the Lord in your prayer maybe the description of every little thing that's gone on leading up to this point so He's not left out of any, any of the loop? We uh, dis- you know, might describe every nuance. You know, we don't have to do that. <laughs> Although we can, and there's nothing wrong per se, but we're not, we're not updating Him on anything that's going on in our lives. We know, or He knows, every little detail of our life. And through all these trials and tribulations we go to, we come to Him, we confess our sin to Him, and we tell Him these things, and we leave them with Him. All the while, they are sent to us to conform us to the likeness of His Son. And one day we will know Him as He is known, or He will know us as we are known. And uh, we look forward to that day. And next week we'll look at some other uh, attributes of Him that can grant us great comfort as we seek him. We're out of time, so we'll pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, that we do not have to guess. Uh, we, we do not have to guess about these things with you. We are not left to our own devices. You know us intimately. What great comfort that is. What great conviction that brings to our hearts when sin is in our life. Father, help us to be quick with confessing that to you. Bring it to our thoughts quickly. Let us stay uh, on that path. Search us and know, uh, know if there's any hurtful way in us. And lead us in the way everlasting. Father, would you uh, help us today as we worship. Help us to do it. Put aside all the things that might be distracting from the outside world and just focus our attention and focus our love and our worship towards the God who knows us, who knows us intimately. We praise you and thank you for your, the mighty gift of your Son despite all of this. That you sent him to live a righteous life we could not live and die a death that we deserved and redeem us and reconcile us to yourself, through the precious work of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.